Smarties. Today we are back with an oldie but a goodie. I joked with Steph before we hit record, this episode is like a good haircut. It never goes out of style. And Steph gave it a really big laugh, which is why I'm repeating it. Still laughing, which is why I've had the same hairstyle. You too, Steph. We're not change it up type of gals. So we wanted to share this episode from back in the archives from episode 47. It's crazy that this is episode 250. And we're sharing an episode that was literally 200 episodes ago. But the information that we share is still valuable, still true, still meaningful for all learners. And note-taking is what we're going to be talking about today. It's one of the things that gets brought up a lot, note-taking, math facts, and spelling that parents really hone in on as areas of need because it's obvious and they can see it or they don't see it. The why that students aren't taking notes, that's the number one. What's going on? We're asking the questions. The second thing is, what kind of notes are there? There's all kinds of different notes. We talk about different strategies to help them be able to take the notes. We're not necessarily talking about notes in class while the teacher is speaking. I want to make that clear. There are different strategies of taking notes and it can be done after the fact. I've had a lot of students who need to hear it, need to read it, need to reread it and are doing notes that way because that's how their brain works best. There's all these different strategies that we talk about that might work for your learners. Don't try all the things. Pick something that sounds of interest to them if you are a parent and try that out. Notes might not look like the teacher says. A lot of kids will try to write the whole sentence. That doesn't work. You can't keep up. Pick something to help them strategize how to write these notes and talk about it and see. Or if you're a teacher or a therapist, these are some ideas for you. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Between the two of us, we have spoken to hundreds of parents who are calling to start educational therapy for their students. The majority of parents with high school-age learners and middle school-age learners are concerned about their child's lack of note-taking skills. Today, we're going to have a deeper discussion on notes, what they're there for, and how to get what you need out of information. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Kapp. And today, we're talking about note-taking. Steph was very committed to doing this episode, Smarties. I was. I was. I think we needed to talk about it because it comes up a lot. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) But before we do that, we got an update. Those of you, if you haven't listened yet, go back and listen to episode 44, which is when we did an on-air coaching call with Evelise Ramos. And we got a little email update that we were really excited about, and so we wanted to share it with you. Evelise emailed us within hours of this episode going live. Yeah. Which was great. So we're so excited. Okay, so here it goes. Hey, I am very excited to say that Javier is doing an amazing job. We have truly found the skills he needed to help him in school. I send Javier with his sticky notes to school every day with a little happy face emoji. Mm -hmm. He really enjoys reading as a family and reading in a silly voice. I feel that this strategy is helping him pay close attention to punctuation and quotations. Javier is now able to make real-life connections with stories. He got his quarterly IEP progress report, and he met two of his goals and is borderline of meeting the rest. So hooray for that. Math is still going good, and he is solving two- to three-step math word problems on his own. 
That trick of helping him understand what the sentence is talking about is a game changer, and it makes it fun for him. His brother is also catching on. The other day in the car, we had three stickers and asked Javier if he has three stickers and takes one away, how many are left? Javier answered and loved playing along with his brother as if it were a true game. I love it. Since Javier has an IEP when he takes an exam, it is usually read to him and he selects an answer. On his last test, he got a four out of nine, but I know Javier could ace the test. I requested him to retake the exam, but allow him to complete it independently since we've been working on his reading. And guess what? He did it and got a nine out of nine. I've attached it for you because I'm so proud. I always knew he had it in him. I'm still working on building a positive relationship with the teachers. Our annual IEP meeting is next month. I know my son is improving and will continue to improve. You ladies have taught me that it's okay to advocate for my son, but not let it overcome my feelings. Celebrate the achievements, and the rest will fall into place. P.S. I'm such a mom. I totally cried as I heard the episode because I'm so proud of my little guy, and just hearing the reassurance and the positive feedback you both gave me was such a nice thing to hear for a change. Hugging you from the internet. Thank you both, Evelise. Rach, I don't know about you, but I got goosebumps a little bit reading that. I got a little emotional reading it because we got to spend, first of all, it was a great on-air coaching call. And we both, I remember when we finished, we both got off and said that was a good one. Yeah, for and, sure it was. you know, we don't always know our impact and we're not going to take credit for the nitty gritty work that she's doing with him. No, no, she's definitely doing a lot of work. But I'm excited for her that some of the things that we suggested are kind of shifting things for them. And it's kind of crazy. We're in California. She's in New York. There would have been no opportunity for us to connect had we not started this podcast. So I'm, I don't know. I'm feeling pretty proud of us, Steph. Yeah, I'm proud too. I'm proud of her for listening. Just because we had the call doesn't mean that necessarily. Good point. Everybody wants to try. And she was willing and vulnerable to try. And it's working. And how happy for their family that there's a shift and everybody's enjoying learning again. It's what we were talking about before we hit record today, which is we can only help the families and the learners that want the help. Yeah. There have been times when we give input and advice and it essentially goes ignored, which is fine. That's the family's individual's choice. We're not living in their homes, right? But seeing somebody who has taken what we've said, applied it in her home, and things are starting to feel better, it's huge. That's all we can ask for. And Evelise, we know you're listening. So thank you so much for giving us permission to read your email on the podcast today, because I really think, I think your episode has had a tremendous impact on people. I've heard from a lot of people about it. Mm. And I know that everyone's going to be so excited to cheer you on. And so way to go. Yes. Yes. Way to go. And we will do a where are they now kind of update episode at some point. So I can't wait. Imagine we recorded this episode with her stuff, what, a month ago? In February of 2019. Okay. And we're in the middle of March of 2019 right now. So we recorded it maybe six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So imagine when we loop back with her and ask for her update. I'm excited. I'm excited for them. I agree. I agree. It's great. 
All right, Steph, let's talk about note-taking. Note-taking. So, note-taking is important. (laughs) But it's so hard. So hard. So let's talk about why it's so hard. Okay, think about it. When you're doing notes, when you're taking notes, rather, you're doing sometimes three things at once. You're listening, maybe you're watching and seeing something up on the board, and you're writing. So that's three things. If you're looking, you're listening, and writing, that's three things that you're physically doing simultaneously. The three things that doesn't take into the account that you're also processing and then using expressive language. So really, you're doing five to six things at once, depending on if you're typing and you have to press the keys and you have to know where the keys are or you have to form the letters. Then one of your peers in the class drops a pencil. Somebody else is talking to you. (laughs) You can't find a piece of paper to write. You're asking a friend for a sheet of paper. You're having trouble opening the Google Doc on your computer because your screen is a mess and you have a thousand things open when you open your computer and you get distracted. Yeah. And the teacher's already on two topics later. Exactly. (laughs) And so you're trying to remember the information and then take in the new information and decide what's important. And then you have to go through the process of getting it onto paper. And it's happening simultaneously, repetitively, and consistently. Yeah. And I have to say for myself, note-taking in high school was hard. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about that. I've never, we've never had that conversation. And it's still hard because I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the podcast, but I know that sometimes my processing speed is slower than others. And sometimes being able to take in the information, decide what's important, hold on to it, write it while taking in the new information is very tedious for my brain. Mm. And I can't, it's not always though. I haven't quite figured out when and why Mm. it happens, but sometimes it's so exhausting that once I do it for a few minutes, it's very hard for me to keep up Hmm. and I don't like it. Which is another reason why in school, I always wanted to see what you were doing because <laughs> it just made it so much easier. It's not that I can't do it. It's exhausting for my brain and I can't, you know, when you're running out of gas and you still want your car to go 65 miles an hour, it doesn't work. So that's how it kind of feels for me. And I'm sure that's how it feels for a lot of kids. I think it's cool that you're sharing this on the podcast. It wasn't my academic experience. I never really viewed note-taking as a burden. And I have probably a natural affinity towards writing, which we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And in the classes that I had to take notes in, which were probably more English-based classes, although I took a lot of notes in math, but then it didn't matter because I had to have my friend explain it to me anyway, as we've talked about on the podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I would make it a point to write everything down in the vain hope that I'd be able to figure it out later, mm. which never happened on my own. I needed the support of somebody else. But for a class like history, that was a high interest subject for me. Yeah, I had an amazing history teacher in 10th and 11th grade, and then he was my AP psychology teacher in 12th grade. And it's actually a little dream of mine. I would love to have him on the podcast, but I'd be so nervous. <laughs> I'm so connected to him through social media and stuff. So I still know he's a grandfather now. It's cool. And mm. he was a dynamic teacher. He was like that special 
Mr. Holland's opus teacher for a lot of students. He he sparked the careers of a lot of teachers. Probably mm-hmm. part of the reason I do what I do is because of the impact he had on me. Mm-hmm. So I was always entertained. And the note-taking, it didn't feel difficult. But I can imagine now with my experience and what I see from students, I see it all the time that it is a big enough ask to just ask them to pay attention Mm-hmm. to what's going on and adding the burden of note taking is really problematic. However, we have to figure out compensatory ways of retaining the information. So yeah. maybe it's not going to look like the way I took notes. Or maybe it is. Or maybe that's the goal or we're going to figure something out, right? Yeah, exactly. I think it's important to understand one of the things that happens when kids come into educational therapy is we talk about what kind of learning profile they have. Are they an auditory learner? Are they a visual learner? Are they kinesthetic learner? Most of the time, they have no idea. Or they think they're one and they're not. They're something else. So let's just break those down really fast because I know we've talked about it in previous episodes, but let's just assume our audience needs a reminder. Yeah. So an auditory learner is... Is somebody who learns best through hearing things. So listening to stories, listening to... Audio content podcasts, audiobooks. Exactly. Uh, a visual learner is somebody that learns much better through seeing. So that's through diagrams, things on the board, having pictures, things like that. Mm-hmm. And a kinesthetic learner is one that needs to touch or move while they're learning. So those are the kids that we have jumping on the trampoline and learning their spelling words or mm-hmm. they're doing cartwheels while they're learning their vocabulary words or whatever it is. Those kids need to touch and move. There's another reason that note-taking is challenging. And for students who are trying, there's a genuine fear of missing something while taking notes. We hear that Mm -hmm. a lot. We hear a lot, I can't write fast enough or I can't type fast enough, right? Yeah. And so that fear then kind of becomes stifling and then they just stop because they don't want to miss anything. So they miss everything. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably me a lot of times. Yeah, but Steph, you also retain information that you've heard. Oh, I definitely do. I definitely do. But I like to see it visually. That helps me for sure. But I can understand why it's so hard. If I think back to the high school version of me, I don't know how I got through some of the things that I did. Me either, though. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to do all these things. High school far and away was the most challenging academic experience of my life. And college and grad school were kind of like a breeze compared to the academic rigor that I had. Really for seven years, middle school through high school. Yeah. Because it was one school and it was college prep and heavily competitive, but in a, I don't know if I would say a healthy way, but in a way that pushed us all forward. Yeah. But... 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, every academic class that I was taking was an AP class. And that was kind of the norm. And that was the culture of the school. So going to Berkeley afterwards, it was like, I only have to take four classes. (laughs) And one of them I can take pass, no pass. And classes only two or three hours a week. I mean, I was just in heaven. I just loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. The other thing that's hard, and we've talked about this a little bit, is the inability to discern what's important. What's the main idea? What are the supporting details? Most kids are incorrect thinking that everything is important. 
And we've talked about this a little bit when we've talked about kids who give you all the details when you're asking about something in social studies, for instance. So it's the kids who see the trees, not the forest. Yeah, exactly. Great. Yeah. (laughs) That's not my phrase. I've heard a neuropsych in LA use that phrase several times with me and it recently has stuck. And it makes sense because those are the kids that'll tell you how in the story, the kid was wearing a blue shirt but that doesn't matter. It's an insignificant detail. Yeah. So they think everything is important. They can't discern what is important. Mm -hmm. So they don't even know that they should be critical about that. Yeah. And that's fair. Nobody's explicitly teaching them that. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Another reason that no taking is hard is students, quite frankly, need to be given permission to not write complete sentences. Yeah, we drill that in them, don't we? Oh. Everything must be a complete sentence. Everything must have a capital and a period. When you're writing notes and that spelling matters, when you're writing notes... None of that is important. It doesn't matter. You need to be in that brain dump phase of writing, which is something yeah. we talk, we've talked about in other writing episodes that we'll link in the show notes. But I often will tell students, you need to take notes as you text. Or you need to find, and this is something that you taught me, Steph, you need, what would the caption be on Mm -hmm. Instagram? Because it forces them down to the nugget of information. This kind of perfectionistic, I have to write a complete sentence, it gets in the way of what we're actually trying to accomplish, which is retaining information, right? Yeah, and being able to retain it and understand it. And you don't need all the little ands, thes, buts. Nope. In your sentences. Nope. <laughs> and when someone says through, writing an arrow is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Right? Or when someone says leading towards, that's an arrow. Yeah. Another thing that makes note-taking really difficult is a general lack of familiarity with the topic that's coming out them. So it's one of the reasons you and I will often pre-teach information in session. It is incredibly common when I have a high school student who struggles with language-heavy classes, so Mm -hmm. history, English, we go over that information in session, so at least they have some familiarity with the language going into the lecture about it. There are ways to mitigate this. There are ways to be strategic and learn the information, not completely, but beforehand. Can I tell a story? Yeah. So, Steph, one of the books that I've been talking about basically ever since I read it, and I can't remember if I've spoken about this book on the podcast. Have I talked about Educated yet? Yeah, I think you have. So, one of the big anecdotes, when when the author's name is Tara Westover, and it's a memoir, and one of the big anecdotes that the media seemed to have pulled out when she did interviews about this book was that she was in a class... And she had never been formally educated, and she was in a college-level class, and she raised her hand and said to the teacher, I'm sorry, I've never heard that word before. What are you talking about? And the word was the Holocaust. Mm. She had never heard of it. She had never heard of the civil rights movement. And here she is in college, and the, and the professor pulls her aside afterwards and tells her how inappropriate she was when she genuinely didn't know the answer. She didn't know mm-hmm. what they were talking about. When you have prior knowledge, it sets you up for success. When you have prior familiarity with a topic, it sets you up for a better experience. We've written this down in 
our episode notes for this episode. It's understanding lectures and note-taking is very closely linked to reading comprehension. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the strategies that we've talked about in episodes 17 and 18 when we did a couple episodes on reading comp. We'll link those in the show notes as well. That knowing the information going into it will help eliminate some of that burden of processing the information for the first time. Also, I absolutely loved Educated and could not recommend it more. (laughs) That's good. We'll link it in the show notes for people. There you go. Okay, Steph, what do we do? How do we help our learners understand note-taking and start note-taking? So I think it's important to discuss the types of notes first because there are a lot of different types, Mm -hmm. right? We have annotations. We have Cornell notes, lecture notes. We have the notes that require filling in the blank that a lot of teachers give as homework. Okay, so those are some pretty common ones that we see all the time. What type of note-taking do you prefer? I like the filling in the blank notes. I do too. I like those when our students get them in advance. Yeah. I also like lecture notes, which is probably more traditional. Cornell notes are the bane of my existence. (laughs) because I think they add burden to students who are already struggling with note-taking. Yeah, I think the point of Cornell Notes is to learn how to ask big picture questions and get main idea with details. And Mm -hmm. basically, they put them in columns and they have to... Some teachers do it differently, but it's asking a question about what's going on and what you're reading. and And so the question's like on the left side of the page and then you have the answer... Mm -hmm. in long form on the right. So it's like a thin column and then a much thicker column on the right. Yeah. And a lot of the kids that I've experienced doing Cornell notes with them, and and then a lot of teachers put them in those little notebooks where they have to, Mm -hmm. you know, number the pages Mm -hmm. and do all the things and it doesn't quite fit and they don't have enough room. And It usually requires students to go back after the class as well. To finish up the Cornell notes part, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot for a lot of the kids to think of the question, too. So if you're looking at every section in a social studies or a history book, a lot of the kids will look and try to figure out a question rather than using the title of... Right. The great thing about history books is they break it up for you. They tell you what's important, and they theme it for you. And right. And so I think some teachers have said, you're not allowed to use that or don't give them permission to know that that's a great strategy for using Cornell notes is to use that bolded title. So I'm finding that there's not as many teachers that I'm coming across doing Cornell notes, but they're still out there. And if you've heard of them and you're shaking your head, this is so hard for my student, we totally get it. I think you're right. I think it was trendy for a hot second. I'm yeah. still finding students who are using them and are supposed to turn it in. And it's a burden. It's a burden. It but there's ways of combating it, which basically involve being prepared ahead of time for class. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into the strategy, shall we? Let's do it. So the first strategy is... Buy extra copies of books. You can get them online. You can get them on Amazon or there's other websites. If it's a book that they're reading for English or their language arts class and they need to annotate, great idea to get an extra book. 
It's also a great idea to get an extra book because they don't have to carry it to and from school. And then there's never going to be that, uh uh-oh, I forgot my book. But we don't want them annotating in two separate books. Everything in one book. Yes, everything in one book. But if it's a social studies book or a history book, Mm -hmm. it's great to be able to write in that book. And so that's why we really advocate to get another copy of the textbook. If it's possible. If it's possible. If it's not, then you can use sticky notes. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, knowing things in advance. So knowing what the Holocaust is in advance of a lecture on World War II. It's not always predictable what a teacher is going to talk about next, but a lot of the times it is. And your student also, when we talk about the three different phases of educational therapy, your student really does need to be more towards the building and competency phase rather than the assessment phase to be in a place where they can do things in advance. Mm-hmm. So for lectures, if you know if you know what the topic is going to be in advance and you have familiarity with the characters in an English class or even in a history class, if you have familiarity, it removes some of the burden of trying to figure out Who is this person? Why are they important? You already kind of know. And that's also a really important teaching moment that a student is not likely to forget a character from a story that they are intrinsically aware of. For example, I don't really need to write down who Hitler was, Mm -hmm. right? I know what he did. And so when you have these major characters in history or English, relying on that prior knowledge is really, really critical in terms of deciding whether or not you're going to write something down. Now, if you're doing a biography of Hitler, then yeah, you got to write more information down Mm -hmm. because you don't need just the gist. You need details. But being critical and making those decisions is important. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that when I'm working with a, a kid, let's say that I'm reading a book with that we look at the cover and look at the back. I'm teaching them that. And I think that older students should do the same thing. They should look at the picture, the cover art, what color is it? What are they talking about on the back? That's going to be what's important. And I think that we're not teaching them that, how to do that, and that that it actually is important. So that goes along with the visualization strategy of knowing what you're reading about and being able to visualize it, being able to tell you. Have that picture in your mind. Yeah, what is going on? If they know about Hitler, let's say, I don't know how we got on this topic, but Mm. what does Hitler look like? Do they even know? Right. They might not. And it would be really nice to have that visual for a lot of students. Another strategy. If they don't own the book. So if you don't own the book, it's really important to have stickies of various colors and hues. Because as we've talked about on the podcast, color is a huge way for students to remember information. So they can sit there and say, okay, I know I wrote that down on a green sticky note. And it Mm -hmm. helps them recall that information. So having stickies that have the main idea written on it in the section of the textbook can be really, really helpful. Yeah. And you can use those little flag stickies. I have those too. Mm. And if there's something important, I put the flag sticky in the book too, if they don't own it. So Mm -hmm. stickies are really, if you don't own the book and you can't write in it basically. Okay. The next strategy for taking notes is reading and listening for information. So 
you'd think that kids would automatically do that. But sometimes that is not actually something that they are paying attention to. They might be paying attention to other details that are not important. That's why I really like those take-home notes where you have to fill in the blanks. Yep. Because that is basically what this is, right? It's reading and listening for information. They're basically having to search out what it is that's important and fill in a vocabulary word. It's really the difference between passively taking in information and actively taking in information. When you're Mm -hmm. searching, that's an action. These can also be called guided lecture notes. When there are guided lecture notes available to a student prior to lecture, the student should have it with them. So, for example, I have some clients who the teachers will put up the PowerPoint presentation in advance. Mm. Well, if you have the PowerPoint in advance, there's a way to print it so that you have three slides on a page with lines to the right. Students should be taking advantage of that. And while the teacher is talking about that particular slide, that's where the notes go. This is for a student who can handle holding on to paper yeah, or who can handle organizing themselves. But the teacher is giving you an opportunity to know information in advance, but more importantly, to be able to can make the connection between what you saw visually and what you heard auditorily. Mm-hmm. I like it. That's a good one. Best. Yeah. The next strategy is called skim and scoop. And we learned this strategy at a conference, and I think it's fantastic. And basically what we teach students to do, let's say you have a story about turtles. And I'm doing this for younger kids to start. So in the first paragraph, there might be a repeating word, right? Turtles is probably going to show up. So you skim and look for words that are repeating. So it might be a turtle, it might be shell, things like that. So if you see a word that repeats more than two or three times, you're going to know what that paragraph is about. So that paragraph, if it has turtle and shell, we know that they're talking about the shell of a turtle in that paragraph. And in another paragraph, it might talk about where they live or, I don't know, any sort of information (laughs) about that specific type of turtle or different types of turtles, that they can find the information, circle it, if it shows up several times, put it in the margin, and then they can tell me basically the main idea of every paragraph. Mm -hmm. This is a great strategy for standardized testing also. Yeah. SAT, ICE, great strategy. Yeah. So if it's a history book, You can look at the section. First of all, it's already broken down for them. They'll tell you what they're going to talk about. But within those paragraphs, there might be something very specific that they are talking about in the United States, talking about the Louisiana Purchase, let's say. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about the money of the Louisiana Purchase or the land in the Louisiana Purchase. And you can see, even though most times the bolded part is there and they already know what it's, what it's about, but you can teach them how they can find that if it's not in their book. That you can use the skim and scoop strategy, what the heading would be. So this might be a really great exercise for a kid that can't see the forest. <laughs> they only mm-hmm. see the trees. What When you pull out each tree and you put them together, what do all those trees make? 
the forest, right? But what kind of forest? So this one might be about the Louisiana Purchase Forest. So (laughs) you get the analogy. Yes. Another quick strategy is highlighting the main idea in one color and highlighting details in another color. That's assuming you can highlight and write in the book. The next one, Rach, you love this one. Using social media language, texting language, how would you caption this? What would the tweet be? And it forces students to get to the nugget, get to the kernel of truth, get to the kernel of what's most important faster when you give them permission to caption this paragraph or caption this section in the history book or caption this lecture. What was important about this lecture that the teacher did for the class? Sometimes just writing a summary about what they've read is great. Totally an active opportunity to integrate information and retain it. The other thing that I do sometimes is mind mapping notes. Basically, there's all different types of, you know, mind mapping, but basically there's the little thought bubbles, you know, when you're using graphic organizers that there's online and apps and programs that you can do it, but you also can just use a good old fashioned organizer that has a bunch of bubbles or you can make one yourself and just putting in the, the ideas. I did this with a kid recently where we read a chapter of a book and I actually went backwards with him. And there were bubbles about the beginning, middle, and end, basically, of the Mm. story. And I had him work backward after we read the chapter. Mm. And I had him tell me what happened last, then what happened right before that, what happened right before that, what happened right before that. And he just put it in a little bubble. And that was it. Hmm. It's using a graphic organizer for notes. Basically, yeah. like it. I like it. Yeah. And the last thing, let's do a little exercise. Okay. I like to do this a lot with students. Let's pick something that you, let's talk about that book that you just read. The more recent one? The more recent one since I haven't read it. So tell me what happened. We're imagining that we're saying this to our student, right? Who is not very good at getting to the point. So go ahead. What happens? So I'm a little exhausted this week. And part of the reason I'm exhausted this week is because I've been up very late reading. And the book that I was reading is called The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And it could be Taylor Jenkins Reid, but Steph, we'll link it in the show notes also. Mm-hmm. You guys, I just adored this book. So there's like an essential mystery of it in that it's basically a conversation between a movie star who was a movie star in the 50s, 60s, 70s to present day. She's older when the essential mystery is taking place because she selects a journalist, like a very low journalist at a magazine that best would be equivalent to like Vogue. Mm -hmm. And she basically says, I'm going to give an interview to the magazine And she doesn't give interviews, but she's only going to give it to this one journalist. Then when the journalist comes to her, she finds out, nope, I'm giving you my life story, and you can publish it after I die. And so then the story goes back and forth between present day and what the journalist and the movie star are kind of experiencing with each other. And then it goes through the whole life story of the movie star told from her perspective, which is, which in my opinion was the book that the journalist was writing, the mm-hmm. writer was writing, mm-hmm. and it goes through the trajectory of her seven husbands and how things aren't always as they appear. Yeah, I like it. Okay, now, 
Can you tell me that in three sentences? Okay. The story is a story of a relationship between a writer and a movie star, where the movie star is giving the writer her life story, and the writer does not know why. Okay. Now can you give it to me in one sentence? This is a book about the relationship between a writer and a movie star, the secrets of the movie star's past, how things aren't always as they appear, and why these two characters are connected. Perfect. Okay, so as you can see, Rachel gave us a much more detailed version of what was going on in the book, and then we modeled how to pare it down into less sentences. And I do this with kids just like I did with Rachel. I might have to coach them through it a little bit more, but we learn how to get to the main idea of what it is they're really learning about. So you can do this in all different subjects. It's basically learning how to take notes. You're taking the information and you're paring it down to what's really important. That was a good exercise. And I love getting to talk about this book right now. So I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) This one just really fed my soul, you guys. It was one of those special books. It had been a while, probably since, well, I read the Michelle Obama book and I felt the same way. I couldn't put that book down either, but educated the Michelle Obama book and the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo have been the best three books that I've read in like the last year. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Well, thanks for sharing it with everybody. I'll read it. I'm sure. Oh, I really want you to read it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can that happen this weekend? I would really like you to read it. <laughs> that's that's pushing it a little bit. If you are not on our email list, go to www.learnsmarterpodcast.com and join us there as well. You'll get a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. You'll get the freebies. If there are freebies associated with an episode, you'll get stories or tips sometimes that we don't share anywhere else. And we'd love for you to be a part of it. Yeah. Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week.